0: Hi, Driven Mofos. You're probably aware that I've been working flat out on our social media presence to try to expand our community of Driven Mofos globally. I've been posting tons of free content to keep you inspired, driven, and working towards your goals. So if you haven't already followed and subscribed to all my social media channels, please make sure you do so as I post different content on different platforms. The links are available in the description of this podcast down below. I mean, these are probably some of the most important things you want to look out for, especially when you're hiring A-grade staff or even when you're looking for A-grade staff amongst the staff you've already got. Welcome to The Underestimated Entrepreneur, where I talk about the many lessons, learnings, and tools that I've learned along my journey from being the private mindset and mental performance coach to rich listers, successful entrepreneurs, professional athletes, and more, all while running business and personal performance events for tens of thousands of people who wanna get the best out of themselves and their lives. This is my way of helping more people to excel in life, build successful empires, and be the best that they can be. I hope you share and enjoy. In this episode, I'm gonna talk about some of the traits that you're looking for when hiring A-grade staff. Now, even if you're not a business owner, you're listening to this episode, it's gonna be really important to surround yourself with A-grade people, especially if you wanna live a great life. So these are some of the traits you wanna look out for and some of the key things that might get you stuck when surrounding yourself with high-level people that are operating at a high level. So let's talk about it. Driven mofos, welcome back to another episode of the Underestimated Entrepreneur. Thank you so much for all of those who have been giving us our five-star reviews on Spotify. We are so close to hitting 100 five-star ratings. If you haven't already done so, please just click on the underestimated entrepreneur on your podcast app and it should come up with a little five-star rating. If you just click on the stars, you can rate it. It takes like two seconds. I would much appreciate it. I really wanna get this podcast across to that hundred five star ratings. We are so close team. Let's do this. You can hear me do my energy. I'm pumped up. I wanna get it across the line. I've been hanging since we started this podcast almost a year ago now. I wanna get it across the line to hundred five star reviews. We are so close, so please, if you haven't already done so, please hit that five-star review. I would much appreciate it, especially if you're getting a lot of value out of these episodes. Okay, let's talk about hiring great talent or surrounding yourself with great people. What are the traits we wanna look for and what are some of the things that can get us unstuck? So these are the things that we look for in interviews. These are the things that we look for in the trial period also. These are also the things that cause team members to come unstuck if they've been in the team for a long, long time, and they start to get a little bit complacent and they're not held accountable by management. So let's talk about some of these traits. Now, a trait is essentially like a characteristic. So you could call it a character trait. I like to just call them traits. But what we're looking for is we're looking for characteristics within the team members or even if you're using other people's products or services. Like if I go to a physiotherapist or a chiropractor or I want to go to a massage therapist, these are the things that I I want to make sure that they have in most cases because I know that I'm going to get effective results. And I think that these go across the board with anyone that you're surrounding yourself with. If you want great teams of people around you in order to help you, to support you, in order to get the best results for you or for your business then you want to be thinking about these things. So the number one most important thing or actually these are sort of in any order by the way it's when I say the number one it's not the number one thing but it's just one of the things we want to look for. So number one is the ability to listen effectively. What I've found over the years is that most people have the inability to listen effectively. Now in order to listen you not only have to hear the words you need to be able to listen to their tonality and pick up on the tone. You also need to be able to listen and pick Piece of jigsaw puzzle or a storyline together. So when someone's listening effectively, like if I say, hey, I wanna go out to a cafe for lunch and someone goes, okay, yeah, that's cool. All right, where are we going? And I go, let's just quickly go to this cafe around the corner. And now this is just a really shitty example, by the way. But if someone says, yep, okay, I'll organize it all. And so they're supposed to organize it, so they just organize for us to get there. But what they don't realize is that parking is poor, that there's an event on right next door, so the cafe is absolutely packed out, but they didn't ask any questions. Their ability to ask questions and to listen effectively is compromised. Now that's just a really shitty example of it. But what I find is that most people have an inability to listen. In the past, I mean, we've got an amazing team now, but in the past when I've had team members, I will ask for them to do something and I watch them. They're sitting there and they're preoccupied thinking about other shit or they're on their computer and I can hear their fucking mouse clicking because they're doing 15 other tasks. They're not listening. And so they're, the likelihood of them stuffing up what I say is going to be very, very high. Now, when they stuff it up, I take notes of that. So I take notes that I notice that they're clicking around, that they're preoccupied by other shit. And and when they fuck it up, I'm gonna pull them aside and go, hey, this didn't get this result by this time frame. What happened? And then I let them talk. When I let them talk, they will blame everything else. They will say why well, it's all this other shit and not take responsibility for it because that's how most people operate. Number one, they listen in a shithouse way. And then from there, not only did they not listen, but when they fuck it all up, they blame everything else outside of themselves. That shows me that they're not a great talent. Okay, Number one, didn't take responsibility. Number two, they blame other things outside of themselves. And number three, they don't know how to listen. So in order to listen, you need to sit there and you need to listen effectively. It's not a passive task. You don't just sit there and listen to people. It's an active task. You need to actively listen. It's at work. Like in order to listen to somebody, it's actual work. You need to be sitting there and thinking about what they're saying. You need to be thinking about what could go right. You need to be thinking about what could go wrong. You need to be putting together the details so that you understand something. If you don't understand something, then you're probably not listening or you're not asking the right questions afterwards. So you need to actively listen. Now A grade players and A grade talent have the ability to listen effectively. When I've had staff members before that come in and they can't listen, what I've also found is not only are they irresponsible, but they normally have this victim-like mentality where it's never their fault, it's never their problem. They also are really insecure, and when they're insecure, they have this perfectionist mentality. When they have a perfectionist mentality and you know, you give them a task, that time frame might blow out by weeks because they're trying to get everything right because they don't wanna fail, they don't wanna make mistakes. So not only are they insecure, they've got an inability to listen, they will tend to fuck up shit, everything's gonna take longer than what it takes and then they're gonna blame everybody else. This is a toxic person that when you put them into a good culture is gonna destroy everything. So what I wanna make sure is when I'm doing interviews with potential new staff members, I'm watching how they actively listen. If there's someone who wants to jump in and they start talking over the top of me or they can't have silent space, like I notice a lot of people don't like silence. So instead of sitting there and thinking, they just have to talk and then they have to talk and then they have to talk. And also, it also depends on if someone is a good listener, they will normally come and ask questions. When someone is a shit listener and they're just sitting there to talk, what they'll do is they keep giving statements. So you might say, this is the project that I want, I need to get this done. And instead of the person sitting there and thinking going, okay, you said that you need this cafe booked. Is the cafe, do they have events and stuff going on there? Like, should I be wary of that? Instead of asking those good questions, the person who is an ineffective communicator and has a really poor ability to listen, They'll go, oh, yep, 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 I can do that. They'll literally say the word. Yep, 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 oh, yep, I know what to do. Yep, I'll be able to book that, I'll get it all done. And they talk really fast. They talk over the top of you. They haven't really heard anything. I find that they are some of the worst staff members and they're probably some of the worst staff members that we've had that we've held on to for too long. They destroy the community, they destroy relationships, they blow out time frames. You know, I'm thinking about a couple of them now and there's some of the people that give me chills down my spine. Because when they leave, and there's two different ways that they normally leave. They normally leave because they're pushed out and then they resign. But when they resign, they'll blame the business and then they blame me or they blame the management. So they go, oh, that place is shit to work. You know, they don't give a shit about anybody. They don't give a shit about their stuff. But what they're telling you is that they were actually toxic in the first place. So what I noticed was that those people that leave spoke the most amount of shit about us. But what we were doing was we were actively pushing them out because we needed them to resign. If we fire them, we then have to go through a whole bunch of process and crap like that that we've got to go through in order to get rid of that person. And then they can turn around later and say, well, you know, you fired me and then you've got the workplace relations and all that sort of shit. And you can be doing six months of legal work afterwards in order to deal with one idiot that you've had to let go. Now, sometimes you've got to fire people, but it's much better if you can get them to leave on their terms because then it's their decision, not yours. So that's one thing you've got to be really careful of. So when I'm doing interviews, I'm looking at their ability to listen effectively. And then in their 90 day trial period, I want to know that they can listen effectively and ask effective questions. So that's number one. Number two is their ability to learn. I wanna make sure that the person has an ability to learn. So like we've got some great staff members now where when they're stuck, one of the first things that they will do is they will go and then try to figure out how to problem solve it themselves. So they might hop on YouTube and they'll watch a couple of YouTube videos. They might say, hey, after hours, I've been reading a book or I've been trying to figure out like how we can get this issue resolved. They might go out and seek active mentors. So they're out there trying to problem solve by actively learning and figuring shit out. They are some of the best staff members. The ones that aren't good are the ones that sit there and they just message you eight times a day and they're like, I'm stuck with this problem, I don't know what to do. And they have an inability to learn, they have an ability to problem solve. So you wanna make sure that your staff members or people around you have a good ability to learn and to be able to effectively problem solve. If you have to keep teaching them all the time and they won't actively learn, I would recommend that they're probably not the right people to be around. And I've also found this before with staff members that haven't worked out with us. The ones who need babysitting all the time, the ones who need cuddling and canoodling are normally those who have an inability to effectively problem solve and to effectively go out and grow and learn in their own time, which then make them better. Like I don't think that all staff should be doing shit and learning and problem solving during staff or during working hours. Because essentially if you're paying somebody, and this is my perspective as a business owner, and I could be wrong with this, but I think that most people in the general population also need to understand this. If I go to McDonald's and I order a burger and chips and fries and all that stuff, they don't come out and say, look, it's gonna take five minutes, but because we don't know how to use some of the stuff, it's gonna take an hour and a half. And I just appreciate it. And by the way, if you're paying for time, let's say a burger is five bucks, but now, It normally takes five minutes, so it's a dollar a minute, but it's going to take an hour and a half. So I've got to pay $90 for that same burger because they need to now figure out how to use the fucking machine. You wouldn't do that if you were using a third-party vendor or a third-party supplier like McDonald's. So if they charge by the minute and a burger is normally 5 bucks, and now it's $90 because it took 10 times longer or however many times longer because it took them 90 minutes because they're trying to figure shit out, then it tells you that, number one, they can't do the job or that they were unprepared. I think that if you're a good employee, that first of all, you need to be competent, but also you're actively learning to improve yourself because as you improve yourself and you get more effective and more productive, you can charge more. So I believe that every staff member is like their own unique little business. And so if you're a good staff member, you become more effective, you become more productive, but over time you're gonna charge more. And that's fair enough. You know, Good staff members should be paid more. But if you're one of those shitty staff members, and I've seen this in the newspapers recently, where people are like, well, why should I work after hours? Why should I add any more value to the business? Like, why should I give a shit? Well, the thing is that they're never gonna earn any more. All that's gonna happen is next year, they're gonna complain about inflation. They're gonna complain that they're not getting paid more. But why should the business pay them more when they're not adding any more value to the business? Just like why should customers pay more when they don't get more? Like, I don't wanna to go to McDonald's and pay more and get less. Like, that makes no sense. So why should a staff member do less and get paid more? That makes no logical sense. So if we treat everything like a fair and equitable value exchange, as someone increases their value within the organization, they'll probably get paid more value. Now, if they don't, my recommendation is leave that business and go and find a business that values you. There are plenty of people out there who stay working for the same shitty company with a really poor culture that treat their staff like shit. And they'll stay in that job for 10 years complaining about how crap the business is and how no one gives a fuck. But that's that individual's fault for not having the courage to step up and see their own value and say, I'm leaving, I'm going somewhere else where I'm valued. So I think that the market essentially drives the value of staff members through wages, but also through the value of the business. If a business is highly profitable, then staff, especially at a high level, are probably gonna get paid more. So the more you can learn, the more you can grow, the more you can do that, it makes you more valuable in the long run. But like everything, normally you've got to, very rarely do you pay for something upfront and then get it you know, later on in return. Some industries do that but very rarely you pay after you've done the work. I think that paying for time can be one of the greatest myths because when someone thinks that they work an eight hour day, they think that they're getting paid for the hours that they work, not paid for the results that they produce. Whereas if everyone started thinking about the results that they produce and the productivity that they create, and that that's what creates the value within an organization, I think that most businesses would work way more effective. And I'm always communicating this to my staff. Like, should you do a good job, you will be paid more. Should you be more productive, you will be paid more. We will honor that. But should you come to me and ask for a pay rise and you haven't been more productive, you haven't been more effective, you haven't put in the effort up front, to be more productive and more effective, then there's no way I'm gonna pay you more. And in fact, I'll probably fire you or ask you to leave because there's someone else out there who wants the job and they wanna put in the effort and energy. So number two was you wanna know that people that you're around want to learn. If I'm going to a chiropractor, I wanna know that they're consistently learning. In fact, recently I had the opportunity to go to a new chiropractor, someone that I've known for years, who's not very far from my house, but I didn't wanna go there because I knew that they don't learn. They just do the job. And they're probably one of those chiropractors that are pretty fucking average. They're probably shit because they do the bare minimum to keep their certification. Whereas the ones that I normally go to, the chiropractors and the physios that I normally go to, they're always telling me about all this new shit that they've learned to the conferences that they've gone to. They really love to learn. They love their craft and they wanna be better at it. And so that's what makes them great. Get ready business owners that make under a million dollars per year. I'm getting ready to launch my brand new online dominate zero to a million dollars business hub with the goal of giving small business owners what they need to grow their business past their first million dollars with the tips, the tools, the processes, the frameworks, and the trainings to scale their business past the first million dollars without wasting years and millions of dollars like I did with all the trials, errors, and mistakes that cost me. This will give those of you out there wanting to make your first million dollars the fast track to scaling your business. Stay tuned for the launch. So number one is the ability to listen effectively, and number two is the ability to learn. Number three, I think this one's really important, and that's the ability to adapt. What happens a lot of the time, especially with employees, is that sometimes they struggle with adaptability. If the business grows, the staff need to grow, the management need to grow, the organization grows, structures grow, which then means that things change regularly. Now, if you're in a small, fast-moving business, things change quite regularly. If you're in a large corporate organization, things very rarely change. And when they do, everyone freaks out. I used to have speaking gigs where I would be hired by large organizations to go in there. And they would say, you know, we need you to come in and motivate our staff and get them back on track because we're creating some changes. And what would happen? In these large organizations, because most of their staff were like mushrooms where they just sit in a dark fucking room and they just grow so slowly, that was just their culture. So when they would create change, they would put in a new system half of the staff would freak out they're all getting stressed out some of them on stress leave they're burnt out because they're used to just doing the same thing they essentially wake up in the morning they think about their day then when they get to the office they take their brain out they leave it at the door then they work all day just doing the same monotonous shit over and over and over again and if anything gets too complicated it stresses them out it burns them out they end up with like fucking mental health crisis all of this sort of stuff because they're not used to being adaptable whereas if you're a small business owner or even a scaling business owner Things are changing so quickly. So you want to have staff members that are adaptable, like they're excited by change, they're excited by growth. They love to like learn and adapt and grow and they love seeing the progress of the organization. So if you take someone who has worked in a large corporate business for the last 15 years and then you put them into a small business, you are going to blow their brains out of the back of their skull. Like they most of them just cannot do it. They will need to go and work for another larger organization that takes forever to approve everything. They'll complain about it. Like they'll say, oh, it takes we need a new photocopier, but it takes them like six months to get a new photocopier. Why? Because you've got to then go and report the photocopier to your supervisor. Your supervisor then needs to do paperwork and they've got to lodge it with management. Their manager then has to approve it in a budget. They don't have a meeting until the other teams and shit like that for three months, so you've got to wait three months for that to get approved. Then from there, they pass it up to either the general manager or the CEO. Then the CEO or the general manager then approves it, and then it comes back down the line. So it might take six months or eight months to get a new photocopier. In a small business, if you need that photocopier, there'll be one tomorrow. So that's the difference in the speed of execution. Now in large corporate organizations, they will complain. It took six months to get a photocopier. What a shit place to work. But at the same time, if they wanted that photocopier in two days, they would also have to understand that when new systems are bought in, that they will change within two days to four weeks. It gets in, staff get trained and they better start fucking using it as of tomorrow. Now, if that can't happen, then that's gonna gridlock a small business, cause huge bottlenecks, and cash flow is gonna just get torched, which small businesses don't have a lot of cash, in most cases, just sitting around. So you have to be really aware that when you're hiring people or surrounding yourself with people, you need to know the cultures that they're used to working for and the speed of implementation that they're used to working for and also their adaptability. So one thing I look for when I'm doing interviews is how people adapt. And I'll ask them, how do you deal with new systems, new processes? And I tell them, our business moves really, really quickly. Do you think you have the ability to keep up with an ever-changing environment systems are changing processes are changing staff members are changing the environment is consistently this changing environment are you okay with that then what i will do in the first 90 days they're going to get tested at a speed that they can work at if they can't keep up with the rest of the staff then they're out of here we've got to get rid of them i also like to know that that speed is the speed of implementation of people around me so if i'm using external vendors like let's say again the doctor If I have to work with a doctor that's so slow, like I'll send you your bloods, and it takes them six months to send me my bloods, they're out of here. I wanna work with someone who, when they get the bloods back within 24 to 48 hours, they're sent through to me. So I really think that if you're looking to hire great talent or you're around great people, that first of all, they have the ability to listen, they have secondly, the ability to learn. The third, the ability to adapt to ever-changing environments, especially in this day and age, things are changing faster than ever. Systems are getting updated, Technology is getting updated. I hate when I have staff and they sit here and they go, oh, but this is the software we use. And I'm like, yeah, but the software's broken, it's fucked and we can't get the result that we want. Isn't there any different software? And they're like, oh, I don't know, I didn't even look, like I haven't really figured that out. Like, you know, it's gonna take a while to change it. I'm like, if it doesn't work, why do we keep holding on to it? That tells me that they're unadaptable, they can't change fast enough to get the results that we need in a growing business and, and in a growing environment. So that's number three, the ability to adapt. Number four is culture driven. When you're looking to hire great talent, they need to come in and fit into the culture, which then means that your values are really, really important to the hiring process and also how you onboard them. So normally when we go through the hiring process now, we go through and we do the first interview. So we go through, we look through the resumes. Then we start to narrow it all down. When we get people in, the first thing that we're doing is we're looking for their personality. So we're just like, you know, are they a good fit? Do they understand what we do? Then what we do is we normally get them in for a values test. After the first interview, what we will do is we will share with them our values and we will say, right, we want to know how you will come into this company and fit in with the culture. And we want you to tell us how you have an alignment with our values. Now, if they can't explain that to us, they're out of here. They just won't fit. Whereas if they can say, well, look, one of your high values is being driven. Like I'm really driven. I want to achieve great things. I want to get stuff done. I really believe in the mission that you've got. Like I want to be part of this thing. I'm also very purposeful. So I'm always thinking about how we can do things more effectively and more productive. Like how do we do that? I also am consistently working on my communication. I know that I can improve. I want to learn how to communicate more effectively, how to listen more effectively, how to ask better questions. And I think you're the person to help me to do that. Like I'm really enthusiastic about wanting to be a better communicator. So they're just three of our values that we have as a company. So we wanna test that out before we even onboard them. Then when we onboard them, we go through the values the purpose of the company, the mission, our core goals, how we use all of our systems and our processes. And it might take us about half a day to onboard a new staff member and run through everything. That's before they can even do anything. And then from there, we slowly start to show them, right, this is your job, these are the systems that we use now to be very specific around your job role. But the first half of a day is just culture training. Now, after the first two months, we're gonna reassess and see if they do fit because someone might sound extremely driven, yet they don't wanna work past five o'clock at night, They're not achieving their core goals or their core outcomes. So again, they're out of here. So we just get rid of them because we let them know like you're on trial, we're just testing, you're testing us, we're testing you, we gotta make sure there's an alignment there. Because they might be fully competent but just a really bad culture fit that's gonna cause problems with all the other staff and we're not gonna have that. Also the standard you set is the standard you keep. If we have a high standard, then that's the standard we have to keep. So if we're bringing in staff that are non-effective and non-productive and keeping them, then that becomes our culture. And I call this culture by default. And most businesses have culture by default because they don't really know what they're looking for. They don't onboard people effectively. And because of that, you end up with really sloppy staff. You have really sloppy results. And it's just a really stressful, shitty environment to work in. Now, I used to have that environment and we've had that environment for years and years and years. And I won't ever go back to that now. I would rather just let go of somebody and just say, look, you're not a right fit. You understand, you don't like it here. We're not getting the results we want, you gotta go. I would much prefer to say that than to keep putting up with something that is affecting other people. I've also noticed that personally, when staff are achieving great things and they're a culture fit, I actually really enjoy talking to them. When I have to deal with staff that are non-performing, that aren't a culture fit, I start getting stressed out and I start thinking about them all the time. And if I'm thinking about them all the time, I'm not thinking about what I need to produce. And I also notice that I start getting frustrated when they talk, I'm just like, shut the fuck up. Like, why are you even here? And I start getting sort of aggressive in my own mind towards them because I feel like they're impacting the rest of the team and they're impacting the mission. So one of the key things that I look for when around talent is also that ability to make sure that they're culture driven and they fit into the culture. I also wanna make sure that not only are the values of our company important, but they're also part of the values that I have, hence why they're part of our culture. Like I didn't create a bunch of values for our business and our organization that don't fit who I am as a person, don't work for me. That makes no sense, especially if you're a business owner. Businesses do this all the time where owners have their own unique set of values, but the business values don't align with their personal values, so there's a culture clash even with them. And so they're essentially not a culture fit in their own organization. And that's why they get sloppy results, there's a poor culture, they get stressed out and they don't enjoy going to work. Because once again, they have culture by default instead of a culture that's been created by the owner. And I think one of the most important things and one of the most fulfilling things as an owner is that you get to create the environment that you work in, like how awesome is that? And you get to surround yourself with awesome people who want to fit into that environment, like it's great. So you don't wanna have culture by default. So number four is making sure that they're a culture fit. And then finally here, one of the other key things that you really got to be aware of if you're a business owner or if you're hiring people or even if you're looking for people who are around you is you've got to know, are they a thinker or a doer? You rarely get both a thinker and a doer. Now a doer means that they can get shit done at speed and they just get down and they get dirty. A thinker is someone who thinks through things. Now, sometimes you need a thinker, not a doer. So if you've got a large business and a large organization, you've got a CEO, They're normally more of a thinker, not a doer. So they'll sit there and they'll think about the economy. They think about what could go wrong. They think about the political structure. They think about the socio-political structure of what's going on in society. They think about the direction of the business over the next 10 years. They do more planning. They do more creative. They're leading the business forward. So that role is more of a thinking role. That's why you see a lot of CEOs playing golf and networking and things like that because they're sort of gathering ideas, they're piecing the jigsaw puzzle together and they need to create that so that when they go back to their management, their management then sort of grab that and they're partial thinkers and partial doers and then they start delegating that and delegating it down the chain to all the doers and then the doers just get shit done. But the doers don't normally think that effectively. So I meet a lot of business owners and that they say to me like, my staff are fucking idiots and I'm like, what do you mean? And they go, well, you know, there's these problems and they can't fix them. They don't know what they're doing and they don't think through things. They can't think properly. You know, they're just fucking idiots. And I'm like, but hang on, are you employing a doer? Or are you employing a thinker? Like, do you want this person to sit around all day trying to problem solve? Or do you want this person to just get shit done? And they're like, well, no, I need them to get shit done. And I'm like, well, then why are you expecting them to solve all of these problems? They're not thinkers, they're doers. So if you're hiring a job role that's a doer, you don't need someone who's more of a thinker. Now, this is a sliding scale. Very rarely do you just get someone who's 100% thinker or 100% doer and not a thinker at all. You get sort of a sliding scale. So in upper management, like at a high level business, essentially a CEO is probably like 80 to 90 to even 95% of the time thinker. And they're gonna spend 5% of the time maybe doing some bits and pieces and getting their hands dirty. Then if you go to a factory floor and you've got a production line worker, that production line is like 99% doer and 1% thinker. They don't really get paid to think, they just get paid to do shit. And then you've got everybody in between. So you might have middle level management. They might need to think 40% of the time and they might need to do 60% of the time. Where a lot of businesses go wrong is that they hire a thinker to come in to do shit. And we've made this mistake so many times. We will hire a marketer who we expect, you're gonna think about the marketing strategy you're going to plan the strategy and then you're going to start executing it and you can get in there and get your hands dirty. Then what we would find is we would have a person who would just sit there all the time and think. And then they would go, oh, we need to hire a someone who posts. And I go, okay, why? Why can't you post? Don't you know how to do it? Yeah, I know how to do it. Well, then why don't you fucking post? Oh, I guess I could, but you know, it's, yeah, yeah, okay. And then they'll come back to me and they're like, um, we need to get someone who can do copywriting. And I go, well, can't you copyright? Aren't you a fucking marketer? Oh, I guess, but it's not my high skill set. You know, I think we should just delegate it off. And so what they do is they're essentially saying, I'm a thinker, I don't really wanna do a lot. Whereas in our business, being a small business, I need someone who can think a little bit. So I need probably thinking 20 to 30% of the time and doing 70 to 80% of the time. Like you need to be adaptable. And I know for myself and Jess, this has been a huge frustration because we can have times where we go to 80 to 90% thinking but then we'll swing back the other way and do 80 to 90% execution because we just need to keep filling roles as the business grows. Until now, like I'm spending a little bit more time as more of a thinker and less as a doer, but I will delegate those priorities and delegate those tasks to other people. But I probably still spend on average week, I still probably spend, I would say 70% of my time doing stuff and 30% of my time thinking. You know, But over time I've noticed that I'm spending more time thinking and less time doing. You need to know who you're hiring. I've hired general managers before, and they come in and they've been almost 100% doer. And they're used to working in a larger organization where they've been a general manager or something like that. They're used to leading heaps of staff, so they just delegate everything. Now when they're in a small team of like four or five people and they've got to do stuff, it's like they just become completely incompetent. Like in a small business at that scale, we'd hired a general manager because I needed someone to run the company when we're on national tour and when I was doing all these speaking engagements. So I'd hire this person. It was probably the wrong role, the wrong role title, also, I didn't really know what I needed and I was hoping someone could come in and give me the right advice. But what happened was they would just sit around all day long just thinking about shit and not doing anything. And so it was a huge cost for the business without a lot of productivity. And what I've found over the years was that most of the people who were hiring for that role were more thinkers and not really that great at doers. I've also hired general managers who have been doers but not great thinkers. And so what will happen is if they don't have a system and a process and some infrastructure, They are just fucking hopeless. They just cause chaos everywhere. So you really need to know who you're hiring. Are they a thinker or a doer? Because you rarely get both as sort of a pendulum that can swing back and forward. You know, I'm going to spend a couple of days thinking and then we're going to execute for the next month. Very rarely do you find someone who's like that. They're normally a little bit more rigid in sort of where they sit on that scale. You know, 70% doer, 30% thinker, or they might be like a a 50 thinker and doer, or they might be like a 20% doer and a 80% thinker. So you just need to make sure you know who you're hiring. So let me go back through those traits again. Number one is the ability to listen effectively. Number two is the ability to learn. Number three is the ability to adapt. Number four is that they're culture driven And number five is that you need to know whether they're a thinker or a doer and which one they sort of sway to. They're the things you want to look for when you're hiring great talent or even when you're utilizing other people's resources like your physio, your chiropractor, your doctor. Do they fit those categories as well? Because if not, you might have certain problems or you might not be getting the results you want, especially if you're part of our community. Because I know that if you're listening to this, you're a driven mofo. You want to get results. You demand more of yourself and you demand more of people around you. You want to live an epic life. So you can't be around people who are poor listeners, don't wanna learn, can't adapt to shit, aren't really a good culture fit, like they don't fit you and how you operate. And then finally, that they're not really gonna deliver on results or they're gonna to be too erratic and not be able to think. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, Driven mofos If you haven't given that five-star rating yet, please, now is your opportunity. Let's get this up to 105-star rating. I would absolutely love it if you just, if you haven't already done so, please do so. And uh, yeah, I look forward to joining me next episode. Keep crushing it, Driven mofos Have a great day.